We are live now and we are here to chat um, for the very first Rag Report podcast live on LinkedIn. The Rag Report, if you remember, was a daily bulletin show I created in March. Really, it was it was a reaction to probably my own fear, if I'm honest. I, I, I was sat there thinking, what the hell's going on? I had calls coming out my backside from recruitment owners and clients and and I felt like my podcast, you know, we, we had a good good audience at the time. I felt like it was a way that I could potentially bring news to people. So I went daily every day. It burnt me out. My hair wasn't this gray, Neil. I promise you, it's start a lockdown. But uh, it, I went live. We we got people from all over the world, um, and it was brilliant. And and we we tried to share daily news uh, regarding what was going on with COVID. Now, as the second wave, oh, sorry, the first wave sort of slowed down we went back to our original format of talking more about the market, but we are now faced with this second wave. So I felt like it'd be a really good idea to have you, Neil, the CEO of the REC on to effectively give us a bit of an, an update as to where the hell we are as an industry. So Neil, um, can you give us an introduction, mate, of who you are and what you do? Neil Carberry, I'm Chief Executive of the REC. The REC is the UK's recruitment industry organisation, 3,300 agency members on the corporate side and 8,000 professionals uh, investing in their CPD through REC professionals. Uh, been around, its predecessors have been around since 1935, so it's long-standing, but we do a lot of modernisation. Uh, a certain acceleration of our digital programme over the last uh the last six to eight months for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. I've, been, I've been at the REC for a couple of years now. Before that, I was at the CBI, which people might know as the kind of the cross-industry uh, business body in the UK, um, but very much working cross-country as well in terms of sitting on the board of the World Employment Confederation, looking at the recruitment industry globally, uh, as well as that sit at the, on the Council of ACAST, which uh, is all about workplace dispute resolution. Uh, and low pay commission, which sets the minimum wage, and most importantly, head coach Wallingford under tens rugby team. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the bit that you delivered so well on the first time round, Neil. The, the bit yeah. about the rugby team. Um, but look, it's fair to say you're pretty uh, connected in in what's going on around uh, in in all areas of the job market. Um, Neil, thanks for taking the time out first and foremost. Right um, today, we've got about an hour. I want to go through. Really, I want, I, want, I want to go through this kind of where, where actually, what actually happened in the first wave? Where are we now and where do we think we're heading, right? A logical uh, past, present, future piece. And I, I think most people watching this and listening back on the show, will, will, will have, we've all had our own experience of, of COVID. We all experienced the first wave in our own way. Like I remember my office, it was a Thursday night. I just recorded two episodes of the RAG podcast, Tuesday and Wednesday. And the second the, on the Wednesday, I I had a guy come into my office, one of my clients, and we were joking about, you know, London's pretty quiet. And then the Thursday I went in and that night we decided to close the office. We just, you know, temporarily said, don't don't come in on the Monday, on the on the Friday. And then we never went back. I was due to be in the office for the first time today, but my train from Manchester to London got cancelled. So I'm still I'm going I'm coming tonight. Um, and and it's, it's it was insane the experience I had, and I'm sure everyone else did. But can you give us a your take on what went on in the first wave and what how did it actually affect our sector? What were the main headlines that that came out of uh, of your research? So if you look at um, how recruitment goes into recessions, we, we often say first in, first out, because uh, slowing down on uh, bringing people onto the payroll is a classic client uh, response to a bit of uncertainty. Oh. Um, and what we didn't have this time was that slow, slow down. We went in like a train. Yeah. And, uh, you know, particularly hit me hard on the basis that I had been at a World Employment Federation board meeting on the 10th and 11th of March. And we've been talking about what was happening in those markets like China that had already shut down in December. And we're actually starting to come back by that stage, places like Wuhan. Yeah. And you could see around the table my other board members from other federations, you know, my Norwegian colleague suddenly looked up and said he was going to have to uh self-isolate for two weeks when he got back from the board meeting so there was a kind of a, a sense that things were moving quite fast and when i got back to london that friday we were thinking like you were about well how do we shut recHQ down how do we take things online but it still felt kind of like a softening of the market yeah to take it through to the monday morning i think that was the 16th or the 17th of march that was when it became painfully obvious that whiteboards were just clearing 
across mm-hmm. the whole industry per per man temp, with the exceptions of healthcare, but particularly obviously acute and emergency healthcare, not because, because electives were actually uh, yeah. affected the same way as the rest of the market in that they've stopped happening. Um, and logistics, you know, the food chain where temp uh, work in the food chain dropped a little bit in the first week, went right up as, you know, we all bought toilet rolls um, and has, <laughs> stayed, has basically stayed up there. Have you stocked uh, up this time? Have you got have you got your uh, your fridge full of pasta and oh not your fridge your cupboards full of pasta this time? Or? No, I'm not. A, uh, I, I I'm not a, not a stalker. I got although I do have the carberry uh, the carberry vegetable patch out the back, so I'll never go hungry, mate. I'm You're all right. Safe, safe I'm, all, I'm all right. Yeah. So yeah. you look at that that thing about the way the industry went in, yeah. Um. So heavy in in March in a way that we'd never seen before. Peak to trough, probably perm in the UK down eighty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, temp down 40, 50% maybe. So they really sharply in. And then I think generally people were thinking at that stage, you know, people were asking me, how long is this lockdown? Two weeks, four weeks, six weeks? And at that stage, you know, there was a lot of, it's a bit like World War One being over by Christmas. People were thinking through, uh, how do we get through this and how long is this? And it normalized quite quickly. So what we saw was by no means a v-shaped bounce back but i think the temp market was starting to get better by the third or fourth week of april really um where you know now it had gone down 40 percent and it was going up a little bit so mm. if I know, it's not that v i'm a big other trainer brands are available i'm a big fan of the nike swoosh recovery theory of right. you know when you reopen things come back quite quickly but they don't go all the way back and it takes time to recover perm really i think didn't recover until or late I'd start recovering at all till late August September so it, the whole market is still below where it was um but in particular um perm is still weaker and um, what we are seeing is growth in confidence over the summer amongst employers and of course the big question now with this second upswing in in the virus is how much of that is sustainable I do think it's more sustainable than you might think because I see very few businesses who are willing to react this time around the way they reacted first time around. And that's all about, you know, how do we continue to operate rather than thinking this is a short period that we just got to get through? Yeah, well, no, no one knew what no one knew the severity of it back then. I mean, one of my one of my um, good contacts owns a recruitment company. There's about 350 people and they, they didn't have laptops. <laughs> and they literally had to buy 350 laptops globally. And and I mean, there was it was just a lot of businesses in 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 and outside of recruitment that were not set up for remote work in any way. And 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 it was fine to be that way. Whereas this time around, it feels like we're all, you know, we've all adapted somehow. And um you know, there's some sectors are slightly different. Anyone who didn't have to adapt probably won't have to adapt this time, and anyone that does will. Um, the, the 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 confidence in the hiring piece, though, is is big. What you said, like it, regardless of whether regardless of whether business is is moving forward and people are just used to doing the job, the this this next wave, I would imagine, people are feeling a little bit less ambitious, if you like, of just pressing play on certain certain hires. Mm-hmm. Um, so so when you look back then say up until september key highlights were what did you say temp and both both temp and contract were down but per, sorry temp and perm were down but perm was down a lot a, more a lot more and any any specific sectors that surprisingly did better or worse than than you would have expected so i think perm it did better on perm than you'd expect in fact it I, i've certainly we certainly got rec members where perm did better in it than temp did and right. and partly that's clients grasping for resources that they hadn't been able to hire before because they felt the market had changed yeah um lots and lots of um logical flow through so temp the bounce back in temp is much stronger clients are uh, the uh, one of the senior hr people at gsk said to me recently we're hiring we're hiring temp because we can see the demand right now we can see it's there we need to respond to it we can't see three to six months out because of the path of the virus and that's a big drive to temp across the whole market logistics is way up because of course we're buying everything online amazon's just loving life right now yeah well and you're talking about uh recruit recruitment recruiters putting fifteen thousand people into tesco similar number into amazon um but you're also seeing some quite interesting things one of the things i picked up we started scraping jobs boards to look at 
job creation in the UK in July, August time. And then one of the first things that we found was animators was going way up. Really? And we thought, right, okay, what's this? And when you look into the subcategorization of animators, you know, web design, elements of web design are covered under animators in the soft mm-hmm. codes. So, yeah. so you see companies investing in the things they need now. And I think that little trend is what we're going to see broadly. And it's the reason why actually why we started to talk about our jobs recovery tracker. So I can sit here and say, you know, week to the four, of the 14th to the 20th uh, of September, there were 1.2 million job ads in the British labour market. And I think it's really important that we we focus on that. Which Where is, does that stand against what you'd have expected pre-COVID? Probably about 1.4, 1.45. Right. So not miles behind. And and the thing is, they're in different places. Um, and I think a lot of what we need to focus on as an industry is the British economy is always creating jobs. The thing is, they used to be over here and now they're over there. Yeah. Um, so it's you know it's IT, it's online, it's it's logistics, not bricks and mortar retail. And by the way, buying your shop, shopping online and getting it delivered takes more people than buying it in the supermarket does. So there's a whole slew of big changes going on. And there's two big challenges there. One, candidates don't know where the job creation is. And and two, the opportunities for recruiters are in different sectors in different ways. Exactly. So do, what do you do? You know, do you pivot or do you like, – how that, that's the question, isn't it? If you transition of, of jobs is going to be massive but how do recruiters how do recruiters effectively impact that and 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 in, and in the same breath support their own or protect their own businesses at the same time well i think clients really matter in this don't they and you know i thought i was talking at the uh, agency expo recently about the two who's that i talked to a lot of recruiters about the, well, who number one is who's your client um, and what i mean by that is yeah of course you know the, t- the talent acquisition guys and you need to know them, and they they need to be your allies. But they, with the best will in the world, they don't have a clue right now what their future talent, uh, talent demand is going to be because it's being written somewhere further up the the chain by people with PL responsibility in the business. So how are you getting as close as possible to the pivot your client is making and understanding that and understanding what your client thinks their problem is? Because if you have that relationship, with a client that starts to give you some clues as to where where there might be future demand especially if for instance you're a regional uh recruiter rather than a, a sexual specialist in sectors you'll see different bits going up and down and clearly you know you're going to need there are some sectors which are not going to come back to, to the where they were you know bricks and mortar retail will not be the same again that is a long-term change by contrast hospitality if you hibernate I think we all think restaurants will still be a thing in three, four years' time. So it's about being a bit strategic about what the future of your the sector you're serving is. And that's about understanding your client, the way your clients are thinking as well. So getting really close to that, I think, matters. Second bit is then, you know, how are you resourcing clients? One of the interesting discussions I had with a few recruiters during the, the lockdown was they were actually finding it quite difficult to have a conversation with the client because they had one 360 a consultant who looked after a client and that person was on furlough and actually the relationship had gone with that person so a lot of recruitment business thinking about well yes you ladder up against the client you get more senior input you understand their problems but on the other side you also have a bit of a team around the client that's looking at you know this is how we're supporting your employer brand this is how we're uh, how we're shaping the go-to-market and this is how we're running the process so those things, I hear a lot of medium to larger firms talking about moving back from 360 to 180 in terms of how they structure things. Those things, I think, are really interesting as as trends in the industry. And then just watch the data because, you know, we're producing loads of data uh, every month now on where the growth is. And, yeah, you are going to have to be a bit fleet of foot. And actually, it's, you know, it's not just in your own business's interest. It's going to help people as well because the more – uh, you know, recruitment resource we get into supplying these growing sectors and these growing areas, the easier it is to support transition for people who've lost their jobs. I think there's a really, a really bad negative uh, argument out there about rising unemployment that says unemployment's going up, so there's there are no opportunities out there. There are always opportunities out there. Yeah, it's a question about how you get people to them quickly, and I think yeah. it's a really big and important role for recruiters in doing that. No, I agree. I agree. I think. I think there's a couple of 
major things. I mean, if I look at the conversations I'm having at the moment, um, well, in general, the, the, the types of organizations that are invested in, in their brand, in their marketing are those that typically, you know, probably see a bit longer runway. So technology, life science, healthcare, they're the three that we've yeah. had the most engagement with. But I still, I think it's been incredible to see how ambitious people have been in, in this lockdown period um, in, in terms of trying to you know, upskill themselves, learn new te new techniques, recruit. I'm talking about recruiters um, in order to give themselves the best platform to come out of this as aggressively and as, as good as they can. Um, but some of that has, has actually had a negative impact on the volume of staff they've got, not just due to furlough, but actually going some of the budget we spend on that junior talent we could probably put into our brand that protects or enhances the opportunity for our, our more senior people. Um, what do you think? From your conversations with members, what do you think of this, of the of the the reality of the, of the of the entry level recruiter? There was a couple of posts I saw yesterday about you know, are people still hiring juniors into their recruitment organisations? Are we are is the industry gambling on new talent for next year, or is it? Are we saying nah, shut up shop right now? What, what's your viewpoint on that? So there's a couple of things there that I think are really interesting. Firstly, what do we think the talent? mean the skills matrix for a really successful consultant is coming out of this because i think it might be a bit different to what it was going in so you know in terms of new talent coming into the industry i think some of that added value stuff because we all know that ai and automation is going to take a sweep out of some of the stuff that consultants are doing and free them up to do the added value conversations with candidates with clients um around around the process and you know ultimately that that's going to be a good thing because we consultant uh the consultant job will be higher it will be higher skill and more productive and, and hopefully we'll all make more money um mm -hmm. so there's a there's a manager but it does mean that the kind of traditional path into the industry is under challenge yeah. because because we've had a bit of a kind of and I, you know, I did this myself at the start, start of career. It's a bit of a sink or swim. You know, you get on the desk, you 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 get some opportunities, and if you make some money, we everybody's happy, and you build up your career from there. I think that even when we're all back together in workplaces, that's going to be different. It's even all the more different when you know when people are working a bit more dispersed because you know how do you learn as a an entry-level recruiter right now i mean it's so difficult it, it's really really difficult and so i do i do think that how we develop our our staff is going to be important I mean, we we did some uh work on the recruitment apprenticeship and it, to be honest it hasn't really flown it's flown for a few companies who took it really seriously but the numbers aren't aren't great and i wonder whether one of the things that will come out of this is we're gonna to have to think again about kind of the the development path for recruit for, for recruiters because they probably have to reach a different level to be sustainable coming out of this in terms oh. of the conversations they're having with clients well i spoke to a rhetoric who who's got a really strong market presence two days ago and he just said there used to be a home for for people like they could find a recruiter with some experience there was always a home there was always somewhere to go whereas mm. now the standard is just so much higher. People are just not preparing to spend on spend money unless it's like, you know, they've got a certain track record, um, which means, you know, with that, like you say, the benchmark's going to go up. What One interesting obvious, uh, observation that everyone's probably thinking about is this whole, do we work in the office or not? Um, the government, you know, pushing, pushing, promoting actively in August, September, eat out to help out, get out, get back to the office, you know, trying to trying to get the, the I understand they're trying to kickstart the economy. But then in the last couple of weeks, the whole if you can work from home, do it message, yeah. which was not clear. I don't think I've watched three different videos of Boris after, you know, in, in the house talking separately to when he was on stage or whatever. And, and the, it wasn't clear. But what what are you guys getting questions about and what are you advising recruiters to do because you know some some businesses are really suffering with that separation they've just got covid secure they've got people in the office and now they're being they're not sure whether they can sustain it so we're seeing a lot of members not step back to where they were in march and april and for good reason right mm. for two good reasons one these offices are now covid secure the REC, yeah. the REC HQ is still open. I will be there tomorrow. 
Um, what is COVID to cure? Like, what, what, in your opinion? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you because I'm not back in the office. I was meant to be yeah. there today. I didn't make it, and there's only like one person. But what, what is the government guideline on COVID security? If you know that, so you, you basically just need to think about how people can work mask-free, social, in a socially distanced way. You need right. to make sure that you've got hand sanitizer and procedures about minimizing interaction, and you've got to. Uh, in really embed um, office cleaning and uh, and hand washing. So if you take you know, the business closest to my heart, the RECHQ, we've got a one-way system in place. We've got hand sanitizers on 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 every bank of desks. We're bringing half half of the staff are allowed to come in on any one week. We're not requiring anyone to come in yet. So it's really the people who want to come in who are coming yeah. in. Yeah. Um, and and when people come in, they have to wash their hands. Uh, they then get allocated a desk. That desk does not have anyone facing them or to immediately to their side. So we're lower capacity, but we're open. Right. And I think I think if you can do that with an office, it's really important to use your space in, uh, intelligently uh, as a business because I was talking to Trade Union Congress about this the other week, and they're in the same space, which is, you know, there's lots of young workers who'd actually be better off in the office. Because they're, yeah. they're working on a mum's ironing board or something at, uh, at, uh, at home. So... If you can be COVID secure, um, I think most of the recruiters I've been talking to are, are leaning towards keeping places open. I think we know that there are mental health advantages for staff in having interaction. And we know that there's um, uh, that it, it helps with kind of what is a steady state of something that now we know might last well into next spring rather than being something you go through two and three weeks. So our advice is, You've got to be COVID secure. There's mm -hmm. a, there's a there's a guide to that on the REC website. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to, once you're COVID secure, you can be open. I think you have to think very carefully about whether you require people to come in under these circumstances. And clearly, it's very different if you've got an office in central London where people have to take the tube to come to work, versus having an office on a business park in Milton Keynes where you've got a car park because because then people are in the safety of their yeah. car until they're in a COVID secure place. And the data is really clear on this, right? People are not getting COVID by going to work. People are getting COVID by being close together in university halls of residence, um, in pubs and in bars and in play and in each other's houses. So uh, yeah, really big pushback actually from some pretty senior people in the industry over the last few weeks. And the government's shift back was too broad based because not everybody works in London. I'm interrupting this podcast to give you another update from our sponsor, Audro. The team at Audro have launched another feature in summer 2020, and it's going to be a game changer. This is going to massively change the way the recruitment agency market operates globally for the future. They've called it Audro Producer. This platform sits alongside the company's award-winning video interview opportunity um, and gives you, the recruiter, the ability to create engaging, eye-catching video content ready to share in a matter of minutes. So you can record or upload a video, um, and then you can add banners, overlays, images, subtitles, logos, so that you can create these eye-catching videos that are built for LinkedIn. So whether you're interviewing, whether you're doing sales messaging, or you're just trying to put out valuable content on, online, then Odro is no longer just a video interview platform, it's also content creation platform for recruiters get in touch with Audro today to see how you can implement this into your recruitment agency asap thanks for listening let's get back to the show well i mean i'm in manchester now and we yesterday the announcement was oh, i think we're 589 cases per hundred thousand, which is the highest in the country which is just crazy um there's an area of Manchester, Fallowfield, which is where the students live, which is 850 in that one town. I mean, it's just nuts. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, any, I'm not going anywhere, right? I'm just working from home every day. It's, it's, it's becoming. But it, for me personally, like I've, I think we've all been through waves. I definitely had this kind of euphoric period in in May where I was like, this is amazing. Like, fuck the office. I'm never going back. And then now I'm like, I am so sick to death of scheduling conversation with people like and i'm talking about my team like just five minutes here five minutes it's just so annoying like you just want to every wanna five minutes chat is a half hour zoom call, exactly it? and it's just so it, i just want to grab someone because they're there and you know well i don't think we'll ever go back five days i've said this loads but we're definitely gonna try and blend blend some stuff together so that's um, 
that that I think is the biggest single challenge for employers right now, which is what's this mixed model? Because I don't yeah. think any of us are going back. But yeah, you know, I'm with you. Um, I sit in this room, yeah, for a lot of time, and it, it occasionally drives me nuts. In my experience of sort of uh, March, April, May, because when the lockdown hits, well, recruitment markets went that like that. Demand on the REC went like that. You know, our calls went up four hundred percent. As you'd expect, people scrabbling for the cash flow advice and the uh, and the COVID the furlough advice that they needed from us. Um, so you know, March, April, May, my experience was living at work, not working at home. Yeah, and and you need that variation. And what I'm really pleased about is we've moved beyond this period where everyone was writing these uh, awful hot takes about the death of the office. Yeah, and we're into a much a much more sensible debate now, which is what's this mixed model that we're building? Because we're well, not, we're not the going back, but no. you, know, you could do some interesting things. You can. I mean, I've just seen uh, a contact of mine, good good friend, John Dweck, who was on my pod, first or second ever podcast I did, um, owns an agency called Pod Talent. He put an, an announcement on LinkedIn yesterday saying he's sharing his office with another company now. So they've both got the full home in, it's a beautiful office in, in Old Street. I went there last year and, think they've got three days the new company's got two days but you know everyone's got their own desk and their own home in this office and they're, they're splitting the rent they're paying 60 percent. they're paying 40 yeah. percent. both it's, it's it's very smart very clever i know we work have um we work have released this uk-wide pass we're looking into where you can you know you can you can go to any we work in the country now and uh for us i think that'll that'll work really well yeah. um what so if you were going to look at the give us like you overarching synopsis on today right has this huge surge in cases that we've seen in the last three to four weeks had a a, a factual impact on the the labor market and the, and what what's going on in the recruitment space right now so um all of our data has a little bit of a lag so i'll probably answer for about a week ago. You, haven't got, you haven't got like as of 12 o'clock today what's going yeah, on not 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 it's not all on the lap uh, on the laptop here but okay, um, I do think we saw a big we saw a big recovery in September mm-hmm. um, as people opened up. I think all of our indicators suggest that we're not going back down in the way that we did in March. Although there are there's the emerging signs of a bit of a plateau. Yeah. So I, I suspect what we'll do is we might hold position for a month or two, and then take off again. What's really, really clear is that in certain sectors, temp is going absolutely mental. Um, You know, people, I've talked to people who are supplying uh, into the food chain who are ahead of last year in terms of the numbers, uh, which is pretty spectacular if you think about the situation that we're in. Um, So I think demand is continuing to pick up gently. I think employers increasingly are thinking about this as a long term situation at which point they they don't you know they, they just stop recruiting since it ceases to be a good strategy yeah. they have to start recruiting for the things they know they're going to need um the one big break that i see out there is the effect of a potential no deal brexit on lots of sectors in the economy yeah. so i think i think that is increasingly if you look at our calls that's rising in uh, senior recruiters minds as uh, as a potential risk where they're servicing sectors that might be affected. But I'd, I think the risk of a big second spike is more of a plateau where we got to in September rather than going back down at the moment. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that, 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 that the, the platform of growth that we built over the summer persists, but although we're still behind last year. In real recovery, I think you're probably waiting on um, – you're probably waiting on a sense that we're through the worst of the second wave. Really? Um, well, it's interesting because I, I mean, I literally had a call yesterday with about, I, I think I had about 65 recruitment owners in, on two calls. And I heard this phrase, we've had a record month in September and, and a mm-hmm. record quarter yeah. ever, like, ever for some businesses. And I was like, really? And they were like, yeah, like, um, and I don't know if the stars aligned, you know, loads of backlog from April, May all got pushed and it all fell into September and in August. But um, it was really, really positive to hear, like genuinely positive to hear. And seeing even in Australia, we found I've got some people who are in Melbourne that, you know, they're still in lockdown. They've, they've, mm. they've 
you know, they've, they've had a really tough time of it, but they're still managing to make placements and, and they're managing to, to serve their, their markets. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that is a positive sign. But what, so what do you see if you're looking, you're looking into the, the Q4, Q4 of this year, what do you expect to happen? So I, so I recognize that. I recognize good August, good September. That was pretty true across the market. And in some places, people doing really, really well. And the Melbourne point you make, I talked to Charlie Cameron at the RCSA, our sister fed over there quite a lot. Yeah, That is a telltale sign for what we'll see here as well, because we're so used to doing everything online now. I, I There's not the kind of switchover costs. You know, I think clients are more comfortable with online now. We, you know, we won the battle with the home office to allow online right to work and stuff like that. So there's all sorts of um, uh, lower barriers to continuing to recruit as we go back in. So I think, yeah, no, I recognise that picture, which is down, fa- down fast, slow recovery, April, May, June, July, accelerating August, September, and then maybe flat over October and November while we see what happens. But you know, flat is higher than flat, much higher than uh, we were seeing in earlier in the year. I mean, the I I think that 20, 2021 spring looks like a um, looks like an opportunity filled market for recruiters. I tell you a few few reasons why I think that. One, the PE guys are smart, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and there's money in the market for recruitment now, which there hasn't been for two or three years. So that tells you something about what they see as as uh, client businesses pivot to uh, to new areas and start to recruit. And we talk about recruitment being first into recession first. Though. I think we'll start to see that happen. I think it might happen in some jurisdictions around the world before it happens in the UK. Yeah, And I, I think that's about the uncertainty of what happens Jan 1 with Brexit. Yeah. But I think when you get through that, I think next spring feels to me like an accelerating period for the industry if people are in the right uh, are in the right sectors. I think temp remains stronger than perm through to them. Yeah. A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are doing this to give their, their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. Just had a question, Neil, come from Chris Redmond. Yeah. Good contact of mine saying, can I ask if you feel like the market has become more of a candidate-driven market or a vacancy-driven market? I'll let you answer that first, and then I'll give my take on it as well. That's a really good question because um, usually you'd say a candidate-driven market happens when the labor market's tight, when you know, there isn't a lot of talent around, and then you become a vacancy-driven market when, uh, when the labor market's loose. And there isn't a lot of hiring going on. Mm-hmm. I think progressively, we've been moving to more and more candidate-driven because mm-hmm. um, because firms are getting pickier about the talent that they want because they're pivoting. I think because and because candidates are also viewing negotiation differently. 
and and that will only accelerate now so if you um if you think about what the long run is for the labor market let's just take london as an example right um first of all you can get some hyper locality right i'm sitting here in a market town that isn't in london it's about an hour and a bit from london yeah and you know what the economy in this town is doing absolutely amazing there's about six and a half thousand people who live here who are like me who never spend any time here normally and our money's going in here uh, so so you're already seeing town economies doing better right now sure. sec second second point if i'm offered a job in london up until now i've had to be about what an hour hour and a half maybe tops two hours away from london to do it if i only have to go to the office two days a week the commutable range for for London goes from Plymouth to Newcastle upon Tyne. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a very different picture in terms of who the candidates that are in the play are. Secondly, you know, if I get a candidate from Anglesey for that job, do I pay them what I used to pay the guy who did five days in London, or do I kind of get away with paying what I do in uh, what I do in Anglesey? Probably not. Um, but there's a there's a whole slew of uh, changes in the employment relationship. And I was talking, I mentioned earlier, I was talking to Paul Novak at TUC later, and he and I see eye to eye on this. We're going to see a period of intense individualization simultaneous to a period of intense collectivization. So there's going to be a whole load of stuff about what fair work is and standards, and government is going to stay interventionist. You know, it's the he mindset in government right now is we build you guys out. And now we're going to tell you how it's going to be starting with things like, you know, the single enforcement body and umbrella regulation and all of that. So that's happening at one end. At the other end, individual candidates are going to want to kind of pick off a menu of how I work for you. Now, oh, yeah. as, as, as recruiters, that's actually a really good opportunity because people are going to want to work as contractors and temps and, and, and in different ways. So that gives us some opportunities as career managers for people we know and like and we know we can place. But it also creates this um, more complex negotiation. If we can get across that, that's quite a big uh, opportunity. So I think candidate-driven is here to stay, even in a high unemployment uh, environment. Yeah, I, think, I think what you've said there is really interesting. And, and the message I keep getting from all the things you're saying is that, you know, it's not necessarily the doom and gloom. It's the change that we've got to be prepared for. It's going to change. What yeah. I've seen... I mean, I've seen some some recruitment agencies, Chris, that have gone from very candidate-driven focus to client-driven. So they, they're just desperate for vacancies. And also, to get candidates to, to move has been such a challenge that, you know, it, it, you can't rely on just finding one good candidate and moving them and trying to move them around. You've got you've got to have the vacancy. You've got to try and get that, you know, whether you've got the exclusivity or whatever, to be, and then you've got to have a widespread of candidates for roles because there's some the amount of people that have said in my academy each week that they're getting offers that are not being accepted that normally would be because people are going well hang on a minute I've been here for five years they protected me through the first wave you know that job looks great but you know if this if shit hits the fan in the next three months where am I safer where am I going to be protected again like it you know there's a nervousness not only to hire but to move so yeah. um, with that creates. Um, challenges even Siri, Siri's just asked me which one I, I don't know Siri that's the, the answer to Chris's we don't know um but let me uh let me take that one down so there's a there's a really I think that's a really good observation so I do I do a round table uh over zoom maybe once every three four weeks with uh, the heads of the sort of 16 17 biggest firms uh just to kind of chew the market the, the chew the uh, fat on where the market is and that was a big theme of our last discussion last week which is never mind where the client is, we are struggling to get people to to move away from where they are because, you know, in, in a situation like this, do you stick or do you twist? And and people do tend to stick. So there's a real, we talked earlier about uh, the skill set of, of recruiters and that's part of the skill set, isn't it? So how do you land this candidate? Because simultaneously, we've got this world where online recruitment concertinas everything. So you can go from passive candidate not looking for a job on Monday morning to uh, a job offer on Friday afternoon. But actually, the the art is getting someone to say yes to that job offer, not to push through the... Isn't this... Isn't this might be a bit of a controversial comparison, but it feels a little bit like the dating world when it moved towards, like, you know, Tinder and stuff. So you went from... 
you know, crazy. If I'm, I'm moving to this, but if you, you've, we've gone from a world where you used to have to go on a night out and spend 60 quid. I'm just throwing an arbitrary number out in Sheffield where I went uni, it was about nine pound. And in London, it was never 60 quid, but you, uh, you had to go out just to be out and about, just to have the opportunity to talk to someone. And if that was if you had the confidence to do it, right? Um, fast forward 2013, 14, when when these apps started launching, you could sit in the flat on a Saturday night and be chatting to eight people for free. Um, and, you know, with that explosion, I mean, I've been out of the game for a long time in that world, but the reality, from all the conversations I have with friends that have been single and things, it's brought some major positives so you know the opportunity a bit like this whole you know i've just hired someone in south africa that would never have happened six months ago the yeah. opportunity now to have this global talent pool is massive just like the opportunity to talk to people on your sofa is massive but with that becomes you know so much choice so much competition so much you know are the connections as close as they once were you know when you used to go when you sit with someone and you get to know them on a date or in, a, in an office and in a face-to-face -face interview uh, you, you're, if you've had to travel, you know, an hour to go to a meeting and dress up and sit in front of an organization and talk about your skill set, you're showing a level of commitment to that process that, you know, mm -hmm. flicking on Zoom, you yeah. know, I haven't even got trousers on. How many, how many people have interviewed in lockdown with no pants on is going to be incredible. I, don't, I, wish, I wish the REC got those kind of stats, but I don't think we can get that. Um, the, the truth is, it's, it's the level of commitment to just, just to speak to someone is so much lower than it was, so much lower, um, which means people are going to reject offers a lot more because they were never as committed to go to the pissing interview as they were six months ago when they had to go for it. You know, let's take a day off work or it's so much. It, you've got to weigh up that with this mass opportunity comes a new wave of challenges, just like social media, just like dating apps, just like the, the new world from COVID. So, right. This is a, a kind of, core bit of what I do talking to people around the country at the moment, right, is there is so much nonsense talked about disintermediation where, you know, the technology will do it all for client companies and the industry will be sidelined. People are not paperclips. No. They're people. They do unpredictable things and they're driven by their emotions and the stories they tell themselves, not just by the facts of the matter. You know, if if the, if you could do, if people were behave programmatically, you just find out how much someone earned, phone them up, offer them another five or ten grand and they do it. And you know, that's not how this works. We all know that. We know it's a people game. And I think part of the, the upside for the industry in all this is working out how we get clients to appreciate it's a people game and not a process game. Um, now, that doesn't mean we can't, we don't need to be doing the equivalent of recruitment Tinder in our back office with a tech stack that we're buying because the tech stack is essential to competing. But the value is the people and the kind of bringing together the parties and understanding precisely the needs of the client. And, and that, that I think, is a hugely highly skilled professional service. And well, that actually, if we can access that, fantastic future for the industry. If you increase the pool of talent per, like, like we, we are increasing the opportunities. If you can hire someone in New Zealand, South Africa, wherever, like for a role in the UK that was, or you could travel from Newcastle upon Tyne, like the, let's be honest, the boundaries have, have been blown away in so many industries. Yeah. With, with that comes, a bigger headache for the internal recruiters. It gives, it's an even harder job. So in my right. opinion, in my opinion, as long as recruitment agencies are savvy enough to think how they can build talent pools in multiple regions, how they can actually perform in this digital world, you're going to, you're going to see the, the need for use even higher in my opinion. Um, I think that's right. I so Chris, Chris has added another question. Thanks for your engagement, Mr. Redmond, as always. Um, how significant is the risk that bigger recruitment companies will find it harder to survive um, but that now is potentially a great time to start a small recruitment firm with a lean cost base. Good question, Chris. What do you reckon? So I, I, it's definitely a good time to start a, a recruitment firm with a lean, co lean cost base. And, you know, the REC uh, new members number show that plenty of people are doing that at the moment. Um, I think there's a, you know, if people have a niche and a pathway, I think that's important. I think that bigger recruitment company thing is, interesting because i think you only struggle to survive if you lack the the resilience 
So there are a couple of big questions for recruitment industry owners now. Is one, what's our attitude to gearing the business? Now, in temp, in staffing, you always carry a lot of balance sheet debt because you're carrying debt for wages that clients haven't paid you for yet. But it, there's also you know, debt that's built up over uh, over time in terms of supporting the business. So I, I suspect we come out of this with bigger recruitment firms uh, thinking a bit differently about their debt portfolio and actually thinking a bit more flexibly about their cost base. Because one of the things that you've got to do is be able to maintain a, a strong cash runway. And I've seen some fantastic examples of leadership in the industry from big recruitment firm owners working out how to pivot what they do into different fields to make a bit of cash, but also thinking about how they can control costs in the, in the business sensibly. And some of that, you know, some of those are involve really difficult decisions about staffing and so forth. But on over the long run, I think that kind of adaptability is going to matter. Um, you know, having mentioned something about Mark Essex, who spoke at our conference recently earlier, the thing that I like most about Mark's attitude to the future is he says, look, stop, stop trying to look around corners at what's coming. Just build up your capacity to be adaptable. Mm. And I think that's absolutely right. So if you're running a big recruitment firm, it's you know, what if my revenue was this next year, this and that? What would I do then? It's kind of two steps down the road. And as I said earlier, there is money in the market for uh, recruitment firms now that I'm seeing both from privately held firms and, and investors and from PE, which suggests that, that, you know, with the right investment proposition, there's equity investment that that's ready to go in. Yeah, I, I, I'd see that. I'd say there's no doubt when you're a bigger business, there's going to be challenges with agility that you can't necessarily launch, you know, launch changes as fast. And, and you've got so many more people's, you know, personalities and teams and structures and lives and families to consider. There's a bigger responsibility on the leaders of, of big recruitment companies to get it right. And then probably a lot more at stake. Um, that being said, you know, I've seen some smaller recruitment businesses that, you know, they've had job flow dry up to the point where it's, it's, it's crippling them. Like they, they haven't got any, haven't got that that diversity in their approach that allows them to say, well, actually, you know, across our organization, if that portfolio drops or that industry is not performing, we, we're seeing a bit more here. And so everyone will tell you their own unique experience is, is the hardest because it's all they can actually, they can see at that point, I think. Um, I do think on the whole, the larger recruitment firms will have to take a bit of a step back. They'll have to cut the grass a little bit to grow again. And I think they've, it's been evident that that leads me into the next question, actually, that I wanted to talk about. So we've all been, I've seen so many LinkedIn articles and posts about the whole, you know, it's going to be an absolute um, bloodbath of redundancies coming from uh, the industry that, that, that furlough schemes have actually meant that some in some recruiters and I mean I, I'm not even just going to say recruiters in, in business and organizations but we're talking about the recruitment industry some recruitment businesses have probably made profit a lot of profit especially if they've got large contractor bases you know they've furloughed their staff they've actually dropped their operational costs but their contractors are still running in some instances will have made more money than they would have pre-covid um and then you know are they going to then step in and and and, and chop their staff because you know the, the 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 demand isn't where it where it's at do you have you seen any signs of that are you hearing that is is that is that happening now are people starting to release this wave of redundancies we're expecting across the market so i'm i'm not a great fan of the idea of a wave um okay. because i think what we've had is a sort of steady flow as people make sense though it was linked to the furlough scheme everyone yeah, but... said once that's over a lot are just going to cut, you know, they're just going to cut their, their, the people that are, that were coming back that they don't necessarily think are strong enough, capable, you know, do they need them? They got used to working in a, in a small, of a shrunk, shrunk version, you know, that, that's what I'm referring to. So I think, um, I, I think there's been a steady flow and I, I think actually the way the furlough scheme's been withdrawn is quite, has been quite helpful to that because yeah, uh, for, firms have made decisions at different points. It was definitely the case that a lot of people came back on July 1. It was actually a bit of a challenge internally in, inside the REC because, you know, by that stage, it was like like a Vietnam War film. You know, kind of we'd all, we'd all been through the tunnel with, uh, with everyone who was still in their business through March, April, May, June. And then in July, the, 
we got all these Tiggerish people back who'd been on furlough for a few months and just really pleased to get back. And I think so. I thought that I think actually it was quite a big flow of people back in in July. And I think that group probably have been given three, four months to kind of work out where the market is and and see what they can turn. So I do think there's I think some of the bigger firms have already made some decisions. I think there'll be more to come. The most important thing uh, is working out kind of how we minimize that as with any sector. And some of the work that we're trying to do with um, the government at the moment through the private sector job support scheme is about creating demand for the industry to meet needs in supporting job transition via the DWP contracts. Um, And that just keeps people in the industry. And the argument we're making to to ministers at the REC is these are people you need because you're going to have a mass transition problem in 2021. So you need to help the industry through this period. And I am starting, you're starting to see some real acknowledgement of that from the government. You know, Mims Davis said to me the other week that, uh, that you know, the, the employment recovery doesn't happen without recruitment. And I mean, that's obviously true, but you want government ministers to say stuff like that, don't you? Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a, a an opportunity here to see what we can maintain. I think it's going to be really difficult to to envisage any world where there aren't fewer people in the industry this time next year than there were in February. Um, but that's 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 unfortunately the nature of the uh, of the uh, of the times. All we can do is try and keep as many people in recruitment as we can. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So that leads us on to um, you know what are you actually doing to help right now? So if, if you know if someone sat listening to this either live on LinkedIn or on the on the Rag podcast uh, at a later date, and they they don't know that much about the REC. Um, but they, you know, they they like what they hear from you as an individual at the top. What what are you actually doing now, and and why why would why would someone uh, an independent recruitment owner get involved and and seek support? So there's there's basically three things, right? First of all, we're better together in terms of these public debates than we are apart. The REC can talk to your clients in a tone and with a frankness that no single recruitment business can. And we've got 500 client businesses in the Good Recruitment Collective. The same is true of government. So tomorrow morning, I'm on a call with Alok Sharma, the business secretary, and I'm taking the views of REC members directly to the heart of government. Number 10, uh, Department for Business, Home Office, all of that. Um, you know, at a time like this, when government is interfering in our lives and supporting our businesses in a way like never before, you know, the REC membership is a seat at the table in, on those dis- discussions. It shapes what I say. You know, what the REC says isn't just what I reckon, of, right. although sometimes I wish it was. Um, that's the first bit. Second bit is our, REC is a great source of data. So we've got deep data on what's going on in the labour markets across the country by sector, by region. That's available to members. But we've also got advice on how to move, move forward. You know, big issue at the moment. How do I how do I invoice someone who needs to pay me from Germany on January the 1st? Things like questions like that. That's where, you know, that's what the REC is good for. Uh, we've got um, a fantastic team of lawyers. So every REC member gets uh, free legal advice. Um, you see the average member saves about 12 times their subscription every year in just using our legal support. We do all your contracts for you um, and we keep across all your regulatory requirements. Um, so all of that, it's a keep you safe, keep you well advised, your voice outside the industry to make sure that people know, going back to what we are talking about earlier, that recruitment's a really important part of the British economy. It's 10 times the size of the fishing industry uh, to pick an industry that's in, in the news at the moment on Brexit. It's a massive export industry. It's a fantastic sector to work in. We're a big part of our jobs, just banging the drum on that. We're just about to launch on a, a big new piece of work that's talking to 2,000 members of the public, 500 client business uh, chief execs, uh, and uh, the REC membership about the economic and social value that recruitment creates. Because we're all about making it clear to everyone that recruitment's a high value ser- service that matters. And yeah, that's about kind of representing the industry, but it's also about getting us to a world where we're not a, we're not a cost that you seek to minimise. We're a, a service that you try and buy on value, not price. And yeah. I think if there's one thing I really want to do in my time at the REC for the industry, I want to get clients' mindset into that space. Yeah, 
All right. Well, that all makes sense, and I, I do hope that people watching or listening back do get in touch, Neil. If if that if that's how they. Rec.uk.com got a new website. It's really nice. It's really nice. We'll, we'll plug that for you. The rec.uk.com. Um, guys, uh, Andy Cracknell's asked if this will be uh, shown live or shown at a later date. You can, um, you'll be able to get the full video on YouTube and the audio on the Rag podcast um, live on Spotify and Apple. We will be releasing that later this week. Um, we'll put some noise out on LinkedIn about that, Andy. So don't worry, you've got the full full recording, both video and audio coming your way. Um, does anyone else who's watching have any questions before we wrap this up? Um, Neil, I do appreciate your time. I, uh, you know, I'm, it's funny because we talked about this whole Newcastle upon time, you know, all the way down to Plymouth being commutable for London. Um, if my performance today, getting to the train station and having to do a U-turn straight away because it was cancelled, there's anything to, to go by, it might not be that easy. So um, it's uh, it's it's a shame that I've had to, I've not been in the Hoxo HQ today, but uh, at least I, my, my fear was that I would have been stuck on a train and we wouldn't have been able to have this conversation. And I'm so glad we did. Um, thanks so much for your time. It's a um, pleasure. I understand your your uh, your transport problems. You're talking to a man who has a who who lives just south of Oxford and has a season ticket for a football club in Edinburgh. So, oh, wow. <laughs> you uh, you know what? It's uh, you won't be going to watch any football live for a while, so you don't have to worry about that one. Well, exactly. Can watch it. Ironically, uh, my season ticket buys me the right to watch it all at home this season. So, it's, in some ways, it's a bit of a COVID win. Very. That's probably one of the one of the highlights. You know, it's uh, it's it's been a. Every single single Premier League game is on. Um, even though I'm a Man City fan, and uh, you know it's not the best to watch right now. Um, well, it's, got, it's got a bit better in the last couple of days, hasn't it? <laughs> it got it got a lot better when we watched Liverpool and Man United. Let's be honest. But um, that's uh, let's see. We've got the international break, which no one needs, and then uh, we'll be back. But Neil, um, if anyone does want to reach out to you directly, if anyone wants to ask any specific questions, LinkedIn's the best place to get you on here. Yeah. Yeah, LinkedIn, or you hit me up on Twitter, I'm at REC Neil, or uh, by email, it's neil at rec.uk.com. Brilliant. All right, guys, please do reach out to Neil directly if you need any support. Um, Neil, I, I, I want to get you back on in a, in a few months' time. Let's have a let's have another wrap-up in, in, in a quarter or so and see, see, what, see what's moved. Um, thanks to everyone who's listening live on LinkedIn. It's been, uh, it's been an interesting first experience. Whenever I record the rag through um, the traditional channels, you know, I've not got one eye open on comments. So it's a, it is a bit different, but uh, we'll get there. The plan with the rag is to start releasing a lot on the on LinkedIn Live so we get um, we get to people a lot faster in, in, in different ways. But like every version of the rag podcast, guys, I don't charge to 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 do this. I don't um, I don't uh, I don't want you to pay anything to listen to what we do on a weekly basis. Um, we reached sixteen and a half thousand downloads last month, so we're getting a lot of people around the world engaging with this show. Um, but the reason we've got so many is because people are doing what I've sat have asked for, and that is to share this with other people. You know, if you know there's another recruitment owner, another person in your network who is is desperate for the information that we've got today and we're coming out with in future share it with them it's the only way um we've spread around the world and also it's like you said we're stronger together and my whole point of doing this is to make sure that as a sector you know we're not sat in silos with with information that that could help each other despite the competition to what we do um you know we we can support each other and, and i think it's super important so um you know, Sean, that, that that's a really important point. And if I take one one lesson from me from the industry, right? You know, I grew up in the industry. I I was a recruiter in the city in the nineties, and you know, everyone's always had the best quarter ever, haven't they? Mm. Um, but there's an honesty to the debates between recruiters that I've seen this year at the REC, but also outside the REC, that, that there's a real sense that we can help each other. Um, you know, and still be competitive. And I think that's great. There's a real maturity about it. So, you know, the kind of work you're doing, thank you for it. I think we need it. Well, I appreciate that, mate. And uh, I, um, I'll i be back again next Wednesday with more insights um, and we'll get you back in three months' time. But guys, thanks so much and uh, make sure you stay safe and we'll see you all again soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations 
one business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online. And we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now we're managing the marketing for. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.